You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, it's that time of year, the time to review the past and look forward to the future. And there is certainly a lot to review here on Canada's Court. This marks the first full year of the podcast being in existence. And there were some big firsts for Canada basketball, too. I asked you listeners on Twitter what some of your favorite moments were from 2017, and you responded. First, let's start with likely the biggest accomplishment this year for Canada. At WittersSR on Twitter writes, Clear number one is Canada's U19 FIBA World Cup gold, highlighted by RJ Barrett's big game over the USA. And that's where we'll start our year in review. Here's a bit from Danilo Juricic following that monumental win. Uh, our goal, especially, I mean, coming into training camp, was to medal. And that was our big thing. And going through all our practices into our games, our, our what was on our mind was to medal and be up there with the top teams in the world. And uh, we ended up doing it. Now, I'm curious, in your mind, uh, the two big games of the tournament were obviously Italy and the USA. Which one was bigger in your head? Uh, I believe the Italy game was the bigger game, looking back at it. Uh, We ended up beating USA in the semis, and that was a humongous game for us, especially as Canadians uh, in, in general. And to have such a big game in the semifinal, it's usually always tough to bounce back and have a great game, especially since it's next day. So uh, I feel all the emotions and everything had to be put aside for one more night until we were able to beat the Italians. And uh, that's, that's kind of why I think it was probably the biggest game in the tournament for us. Now, you sort of touched on a question I had uh, planned on asking a little bit later, but how did you do that? How did you refocus yourself after such a huge victory? Uh, that is a very tough question. Uh, I think we're a really, really determined group, especially since we eliminated the biggest challenge for us in the tournament. Um, so after, you know, we had our little celebration in the locker room, we knew we had to dial in and refocus for tomorrow's championship game. So uh, we really had to refocus in. So we knew the Italians weren't anything to be looked looked over right they were a really good team they were tough they really got after it and they were a good, good team that played well together so we knew that we had to really dial in for our scout and uh for our shoot and uh really get ready for the next day because it wouldn't be a pushover by any means mm-hmm. now going into that usa game what was the the game plan the coaches were talking about uh we had our scout we knew that the USA is always a, always a great team all around. They have a lot of depth. And uh, we knew that we had to really focus on rebounding because they're a really big team. They're always long. They're strong rebounders. And they have really a lot of height on their teams. So we knew that that was going to be a big focus in our game. And we had to stop them in transition because they really like to run out. They were a team that, that really liked to play fast. They didn't have a lot of plays. So that was one thing we really looked at, too. So uh, as long as we had really good transition defense, our best uh, transition defense game of the tournament, we'd be okay, and that's what we did, and we ended up taking them out. What, what was the atmosphere like of those games? Was there many Canadian fans? Was there many uh, other team fans? What was it like? Uh, for, so during the U.S. game, when we were up, we, we started to get 
total control of the the fans. The fans had all their support for Canada. You know, there's a lot of Canada chants too, which was pretty amazing to happen in uh, Egypt. The whole crowd is behind us, and then during some of their free throws, they were really loud. And whenever they missed, there were some standing ovations as well, which is really which was really good to see and to have the fan support on our side. I think it really helped us. And uh, even in the championship game, even when we were up, you know, 20, 20 plus. Everyone was still on our side. Everyone was chanting Canada. Like it was just a great, amazing feeling to have. Now, like you said, you you mentioned a bit of nerves on the court against that in that U.S. game. What was it like when the buzzer finally sounded and you guys had the win? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, when we finally got that win, I words couldn't even come out for me. I mean, I, I had the ball in the end. I got it off the rebound, and my first thing was to just throw it up in the air, go celebrate a little with my team. Um, all the nerves just went out right after that because it was a close game. We wanted to hold on to that win, and we did. So that was probably the biggest thing, just holding on and uh, getting that first win against the U.S. And what do you think uh, this gold medal says about the future of Canadian basketball? I think this gold medal says that Canada can't just be looked over anymore, and we are truly a powerhouse when it comes to international basketball. And I, and I believe... With this win, it really is, you know, just the first, it will be the first ripple in the water, and people will start to really believe that. They will start to believe that Canada is the top powerhouse in basketball internationally across the world. So uh, as long as the guys keep working, you know, use this as a little bit of inspiration, all the younger guys, and then just continue to make our country proud and play hard, I believe we're, we're going to be up there and high up in international basketball. That was Danilo Juricic. He was a key part of the U19 FIBA World Cup gold medal win this summer. Another big part of the team was R.J. Barrett. Barrett had an incredible game to beat the USA, and it was really a win that made people around the world pay attention. R.J. Barrett's father, Rowan Barrett, is the team's assistant general manager. I spoke to him in Halifax. In the in the past four years, that team has had a 850 winning percentage, uh, but we just haven't been able to get through that final game, perform on demand in the quarterfinal. Yeah, you know, and and our team was fine. We were able to do that finally, and so there's been some trial and error, um, but finally, uh, for once, Canada sits, you know, at the top of the world. Um, you know, never just never had that really in um, women or men or any age level. So clearly it was a, a poignant moment for us, one we want to build off of and continue to grow and find that cutting edge consistently. Um, and, and hopefully it, 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 it bodes for hopefully what's going to come in the future, right, as we continue to push those athletes all the way up and, and work together with what we already have, our players getting experience now. You know, and I feel like in the past we went into tournaments sometimes, some of our top players were 22 years old. You know, I mean, no one wins internationally at, with 22-year-olds as their starters. Uh, as their five starters. It just doesn't usually happen. Um, not seen that happen in the past four Olympics. Um, so um, now with our players kind of coming into, into their own, um, having players kind of finding their way in the NBA, finding their way in Europe, um, finding their way through college, being the mainstays, you know, in college, like a Dylan Brooks, for example, at Oregon, and what he did last year, you feel like um, we'll have enough depth hopefully, to, to be able to push and, and get the job done. That was Rowan Barrett, assistant general manager for the men's national team. He was talking about one of the highlights of the year for 2017, the U19 FIBA World Cup gold. 
This episode, we're reviewing some of the best moments from Canada's court this year. This next highlight comes from Nathan Ayer, who says the interview with Scott Morrison on his Celtics journey was tops. And it was certainly a highlight for me as well. Scott Morrison from Prince Edward Island was named a Boston Celtics assistant coach during the offseason. I met with Scott at the historic Celtics practice facility. Here he is telling me about his journey. Um, I guess I got my big first break being born. Um, <laughs> that, I, what I mean by that is my dad was a college coach too. So uh, even though I was from a small town in PEI, I was exposed to a high level of basketball growing up. So I got lucky with that. Um, finished my playing career at UPEI and uh, decided to get into coaching. Uh, got another break with um, Coach Carolyn Savoy at Dalhousie. Uh, she gave me an assistant job for a year and then decided to take a sabbatical the following year and, and left the team in my hands. So I was an interim head coach at uh, age 23, 24. And from there, became good friends with the men's coach at the time at Dalhousie named John Campbell, who had strong ties in Northern Ontario. Um, long story short, the job at Lakehead University opened in Thunder Bay and, and John helped get me an interview. Uh, I think they offered it to three other people and then I was like the fourth name on the list so they offered me the job at Lakehead and I was there for 10 years. The last four or five were very successful. Um, yeah, you really were able to kind of turn that program around. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, it, when I got there, I was 25. I thought I'd be coaching the Knicks in like three years. Uh, thought I knew knew everything and had the you know, the world in the palm of my hand, but it turned out to be quite a struggle. We lost a lot of games those first five or six years and uh, finally started to figure some things out, got a couple of lucky breaks with recruiting, and, you know, the players that we had really got better and worked hard to improve and, and got us to, you know, the top level of Canadian University of Basketball. We ended up beating Carleton a couple times, and uh, my very last game in at Lakehead was the national championship game where we lost to Carleton in 2000. 13, I want to say, the years kind of run together. Um, but it was a nice – it would have been nice to win the whole thing, um, but it was a good run there, and I was proud of, of how the staff and players really uh, grinded it out to improve. Carlton's a, a tough one to beat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of schools down here in the U.S. that can't beat them, and <laughs> I find myself actually rooting for them now, which is uh, almost blasphemous uh, coming from the Ontario Conference. But whenever they play, you know, the Boston area schools and – American schools, I root for them because if they win, um, a lot of people around here hear about it from me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then from that, you went on to the uh, main Red Claws, and I understand that was a bit of a leap of faith for you. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, in Canada, it's a little different than the U.S. The, the salaries at university level kind of top out. Uh, when I was in a position to renegotiate my contract, uh, Lakehead wanted to keep me, and I kind of wanted to stay too, but I also wanted to, um, I guess, be rewarded for our success. Excuse me. Um, couldn't, you know, instead of getting a raise or I guess they, you know, really couldn't afford to give me more money, um, I tried to negotiate a year off with pay, a sabbatical. Um, so during that sabbatical year, I had planned or thought I would be able to just volunteer with an NBA team. And turns out that was pretty naive to think they aren't just handing those jobs out. So I asked about uh, the D-League and I happened to know just through social media a couple of coaches in the D-League told them my story. One of them offered me a chance to come in and just basically be a fly on the wall, volunteer, um, help out with every task possible from laundry to driving the bus to uh, setting the court up, whatever. Also gave me some basketball-related tasks, including um, player development and, 
and scouting. So uh, I went to Maine. Uh, it wasn't much of a risk at the time because I was still getting paid from Lakehead and I still had a job waiting for me. But uh, over that following summer, I was when I was back in Thunder Bay getting ready for the CIS season, um, you know, Coach Stevens called me and uh, offered me the job, the head job in Maine. The, the coach that I was working for had left. So I took it right on the spot. It took me about three seconds to decide. Um, and it wasn't because I didn't like Lakehead. I just I didn't want to be um, a coach that was at the same school for 30 years, even though there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of my you know, idols and mentors are coaches that have spent a long time at one school. I just wanted to try different things. And if it didn't pan out, I figured I could come back and get a different CIS job eventually. So I thought I'd go for it and um, came in pretty blind. Knew a little bit about the league from my year off, but uh, you know, I kind of had to learn on the fly. But I was lucky to learn through training camp and in the preseason from Coach Stevens in Boston. And then by the time I shipped out to Maine, I had a pretty good handle on what was going on. You mentioned even uh, doing laundry. Was there a point ever where you were like, wait, why am I, why am I doing this? Yeah, I, I mean, there's lots of points like that. It was kind of funny. They had three interns that year. I guess I could be classified as an intern. And the other intern that worked with me was a, a guy named Jim Moran. He was about my age. He had a long career overseas. He had his jersey retired in the top league in Spain. And there were several days where we were the only ones in the office. You know, these guys were just leave their stuff on the floor and towels and face cloths and everything you can imagine. And we we're picking it up and um, we're kind of looking at each other like, man, how did we get to this point? We had a pretty good, good thing going where we were before. Um, but fast forward four years and we're the only two guys from that staff that are in the NBA. Um, Jim's an assistant with the Portland Trailblazers and I'm here in Boston. So we were joking uh, via text before the season started that, it's hard to believe out of all those guys and what we were doing four years ago that we were at this point. So it kept us humble and um, also makes for some good jokes when we see each other. That was Scott Morrison, assistant coach with the Boston Celtics. We're doing a year in review here on Canada's court. So far, we've heard from Daniil Juricic and Rowan Barrett about the U19 gold and Scott Morrison on becoming an assistant coach for one of the most historic NBA franchises. Next, we're going to look at one of my personal favorites this year. Jamal Murray is in his second year in the NBA playing for the Denver Nuggets. I've been a big fan of his game since I watched him play at the Pan Am Games, and it was fun to see him play for Kentucky as well, and now in the NBA. And even though I bungled the sound quality on this one, it was still a pleasure to chat with him. Here is part of the conversation about his first season as a pro. Um... I'll probably get my first shot to, to go down. Um, they're going 0 for 5 or 0 for 16 on five games. Uh, it was deflating and uh, it was something a lot to get my first shot, which something I wasn't used to. And um, I think that kind of took a, a hit on my mental for you know, for a little bit. So um, I think that was my, my rookie wall was number the first five games of the season. Um, what were people telling you during that time? What kind of advice were you getting while you were uh, struggling to get that first shot down? Um, most of the vets here were just telling me to keep shooting. You know, if I'm open, shoot it. Um, you know, if you're missing, shoot it. So they're 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 kept encouraging me. They knew they knew that uh, you know, that's that's not how I play and, and that's not how I'm going to shoot for the rest of the year. So uh, you know, they they believed in my game the whole time, and uh, I think you know, coach was coach and some of the vets were very. Uh, so what was it like then to finally get that first shot to go down? It was a good feeling. 
uh, just knowing that one actually went down and um, my running back on defense, it was just a, a break for me. I felt I thought the weight kind of fall off and um, not everything opened up again. So uh, it was it was a it was a mental um, break for me. Now uh, I have to imagine one of the highlights for you during the season was being able to go to All Star Weekend and play in the. Uh, rookie uh showcase game what was that what was that experience like for you that was a good experience um i was busy during mardi gras and also we can solve it i mean it's hard to get around but uh it was, it was great to, to be out there with those guys and, and um we all be on the same part together so um you know we had a lot of fun you know me moody and joker and and uh you know the guys i know from the other squad so uh overall it was a good experience and you really, uh, you lit it up during that game. You won the the game MVP. Was there a moment where you're like, okay, I'm feeling it today. We're gonna go for that that MVP award. Uh, no, I was really honestly, I was just, I was just playing basketball. I was just kind of going from field game. That's all. how I, how I play in, in those kind of games. And um, at first, I was just passing, just you know, getting everybody else involved. And, and then there was a point where I was just, I was every time I took a shot, you know, I, I wasn't missing. So. Uh, I kept shooting, and that, there was a point where everybody just knew it was hot and kept giving me the ball, so I took it from there. And what did it feel like to be able to to win that trophy for the uh, international team and, and help get them the win? I feel good. Um, it's something you dream of, and uh, to be standing there and holding up the trophy, so it was an incredible feeling. And uh, not just overall, the weekend was a whole lot of fun, and I got to be out there with some of my best friends uh, in the league, so. Uh, just a great experience, and uh, hopefully I get to do it again next year. What were some of the uh, other top points for you as you went through your first NBA season? I'd say uh, playing against Memphis at home, or in Memphis, uh, you know, you're having a catch-and-shoot uh, with Vince Carter closing out. Um, it was kind of you know, cool to me because uh, I used to watch Carter growing up on the Raptors, and you know, I used to love watching his dunks, and I tried to imitate his dunks on my on my little basketball net in my room. Um, you know, just just getting to hit a shot, you know, with him closing that was uh, was uh, pretty incredible, and um, you know, it kind of brought me back to a childhood play. That was Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets, one of the many interviews here on Canada's court this year. Another one that certainly makes this list is Kia Nurse. When I interviewed Kia, her Yukon Huskies were on an unbelievable win streak. And even though it was brought to an end in the NCAA tournament this year, she still put together a great season. The Huskies are currently back at the top of the rankings right now, and Kia Nurse is a big part of that. Here she is talking about how she ended up on the historic team. Um, it was a bit of a long process. But I, what I was fortunate enough to have was my parents and my sister who had already gone through it in her recruiting process. So we kind of narrowed it down day by day, looked at every school and you know, what they had to offer. And then once it got closer to the top 10, that's when we, you know, made visits, um, had a lot more conversations with the coaches, um, inter, uh, mingled with the team, and then kind of made a decision from there. What were some of your uh, top choices? Uh, I made my three visits, my three official visits to um, Connecticut, Indiana, and Penn State. And why Connecticut? I just loved the atmosphere that was here and, you know, the legacy that Connecticut has built over the last 30 years with Coach Ariyama and Coach Daly. And I knew that they had gotten the best potential out of a lot of really great players who had already come through here. So I thought, you know, with my 
dreams to be an Olympian and my dreams to win a national championship, this was the best place for me to do it. Well, uh, already both of those dreams accomplished. Tell me what it's like uh, playing for Coach Oriyama. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I think what he's really good at is finding little things to kind of nitpick on that are things that are going to make you that much better as a player. And he doesn't stop until you get it right. And as soon as you get it right, he finds something new. And that's what makes him so great. He's never going to let you settle to be average. And it's a method to his madness, and it's a little intense sometimes, but it's absolutely a blast to be part of. As you mentioned, his uh, practices are famous or maybe uh, infamous for being incredibly intense. Could you tell me a bit about what an average practice is like? Yeah, um, for us, basically, when we go into practice, we split up between our guards and our posts, and that's kind of our warm-up, essentially, after we stretch, and we get shots up, and then we go straight into practice, which is a lot of running. There's a lot of drills back-to-back-to-back, which are straight up-and-down drills, um, making sure that we do layups, and everything has to be in a row. So we're kind of striving for perfection in that sense, making sure that everybody's running the floor hard, every possession what his practices essentially are made to do are make you as tired as possible and they make you come out of your comfort zone. And then at the end of practice, he throws in a drill that makes you really have to think and that makes you mentally tough. So in any time of situation that you're in a game and you're absolutely dead tired, we're not going to fold because we've already done this every single day in practice and we have the confidence to get through it. And at the time we're uh, recording this, it certainly seems that this is working out because your team has won 94 games in a row. Have you had much of a chance to think about that, or is it all focused on the next game? Um, It's a little bit of both. I mean, when it happened, essentially when we broke the record um, with 91, it hadn't really hit me yet, and I don't know if it hit a lot of us, but... Now it's kind of thinking in a little bit more that, I mean, 91 games, that's a lot of games out of my college career. I think that there's two other ones. Um, So that's crazy and something that you're going to be in the history books forever for, which is uh, absolutely astonishing. But it's a lot of hard work. It's a a lot of different players coming in. I got to do it with three different teams, and that was a lot of fun too. What does it mean for you to already uh, be in the history books there? It's mind-blowing to me. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of things that um, have happened over the course of my career so far that I've been absolutely just mind-blown by, and that's one of them. To think that one day when I'm sitting down watching ESPN with maybe my kids or my grandkids and they talk about a streak that somebody else is on, the fact that our team is going to be up there with that is absolutely crazy. UConn Husky star Kia Nurse. She was the first guest of 2017, and this is the last episode of 2017. So, what were your favorite moments or interviews from Canada's Court this year? You can let me know on Twitter by sending me a tweet at Canada's Court, or you can send me an email to Canada's Court Podcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you exciting basketball content throughout this year, and I assure you I'll be bringing in even more great content in 2018. I've already got some exciting interviews planned. Now I'm going to ask you to do a favor. It doesn't take long. But if you could write me a review for this podcast, I'd really appreciate that. That's it for this episode of Canada's Court. Have a happy new year, and thanks for listening.